And as you're making your way back, I'm going to go ahead and help my brother out who's preaching and tell you, open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. Psalms chapter 19. Well, New Breed, as many of you guys know, um, uh, we are in the process of trying to bring on another elder here at New Breed Church, uh, and that is Lance. And so we're actually going to take a break from our sermon series through the book of Galatians. Uh, and, and our brother Lance is going to come and he's going to bring the word. Part of the reason that we like for uh, candidates who are coming forward to be elders or pastors of New Breed is to preach is because one of the qualifications for a pastor is the ability to teach. Amen. And so we need to know if the brother can teach. So I don't know, church, it's up in the air. Uh, it could go really good this morning or really best. If you're visiting, you're like, man, I picked the wrong Sunday this morning. They got an amateur. But the great thing is that our God uses amateurs really well. Amen. Because ain't none of us made it. So I've been preaching for a while. and I can tell you I have not made it. And most of you are going to be like, amen, he has not. But we have the opportunity to hear from our brethren. So I want to encourage you to do something, because one of the things that I know is tempting for us is to just look at the person who is preaching, especially someone that we've not really heard, and just focus on him. And I want to encourage you during this time to focus on our great God. Amen. I have had the privilege of reading through his manuscript, and our brothers don't help us focus on our great God. So I'm going to take just a moment and pray for our brother who is coming to bring the word. And then uh, I pray that you will listen and receive and be changed as we hear from uh, God himself as his word is proclaimed. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of coming, coming and opening your word, Lord. And we know that when we want to hear you speak, your voice rings most clear through your word. And so we ask that you would help our brother Lance to preach your word to us, God, that you would inspire him, that the spirit will fill him and that it will flow out of him and that we, as we engage with your word, would be changed to look more like Jesus. And as we examine Psalm 19, God, we just take a moment and just praise you that you are a God who has revealed himself. You have revealed yourself. And we love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Come on up, brother. I must start every godly endeavor by kissing my wife. Um, man, you have been such a blessing this week as I've prepared for this, and I think God has called me to this. I know he's called me to this. Um, just reflecting back on when I got saved in Chicago, um, 2004, vacation Bible school, June. Uh, Chatham Bethlehem Presbyterian Church and uh, it feels like a long way away but really it's not because I've only been a Christian for what 16 years I just turned 32 in November so um, but God has been good to keep me and to grow me and to give me a beautiful wife and a child Theophilus who is asleep in Miss Blossom's arms she will know motherhood very shortly and uh, we are expecting our third child um, a girl so um, they have they will have the projected same birthday uh, so yeah we won't sleep much but no I thank you for bringing me here as a brother I want to speak to you as a brother and reveal what God has laid on my heart through his word um, in Psalm 19 amen let's read the text Psalm 19 we'll read it in its entirety I'm reading from the ESV can you please stand yeah I just thought about that Please stand. Let, let's stand as we read the word of God together. If you can, if you can, if you can. All right. The word of God says this in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech 
and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word that you have given us, Father, that you uh, brought to us many, many years ago uh, through your faithful servant, David. I pray that we can take your word and see you in your word, that you will be revealed in your word, Father, in your truth, in your law, and it is sweet and sweeter than honey. And Father, help us leave change, help us respond the right way to your word, that we would worship you in eternal, in an eternal state of glory, Father. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If anyone knows anything about the game of football and football coaches, you know that it's a lot of strategy involved. Football coaches are very secretive. They're very concealing. They are very paranoid, if you might say. You might say they're very paranoid. If you look at an injury report on ESPN.com or wherever injury report may be, stick with me, non-sports people, an injury report would say, Lance Lofton, knee, doubtful. It doesn't say what's wrong with my knee. It doesn't say how long it's been hurting. It, it just says doubtful, meaning I may or may not play. Um, coaches go out of their way in press conferences to give as little information as possible in order to gain a competitive advantage on the playing field. This is most known by the 2007 Patriots, Antonio. Uh, they were a part of something called Spygate. And Spygate was basically this. They were playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers one day, and they realized that they could steal the signals from the defense uh, and relay it to the offensive coordinator, which would then in turn relay it to the quarterback, Drew Bledsoe, at the time. Now, they used this to their advantage. They still lost the game, but they, they figured it out. And so from here on out, they would send people to press conferences and, and disguised as media, uh, but it was really the Patriots personnel, to gain information uh, to, in order to get a competitive advantage on the playing field. Now, you might say, well, how did that work for them? Well, they got six Super Bowls. I'm not saying they cheated or that Tom Brady is a cheater, but beyond the point that they have a competitive advantage. Um, what I love about Psalm 19 is that unlike a football coach, unlike New England Patriots in the NFL, God is all about revealing himself and his glory, and he is not ashamed. He invites us to see all that he is for all that he is in all who he is. And family, I got news for you. If you're here today and you're like, man, where is God? I don't see him. I don't feel him. He is on full display through his word, through his people, through scripture, through God, through Jesus. 
And he is there for you to see and enjoy. The Bible tells us that he dwells in the heavens. He dwells in his word. He dwells in the presence of Jesus Christ. He dwells in the spirit. If there's a season that you have and you don't know where he is, be encouraged, guys. Be encouraged that in spite of who you are, in spite of who God, in light of who God is, he has made himself available for us to pursue and to know him. Any obstacles that we think are in our way, they're, 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 they're not important. Your job can't block out the heavens declaring the glory of God. Your family can't unsweeten the word of God, if that's an issue. And your circumstances can't put Jesus back on the cross. Too late. Let us take a moment to appreciate that the all-powerful, all-God, all-knowing God of the universe wants to reveal himself. He wants us to know him and be like him. Amen? For his glory. This is a psalm that I've prayed over and uh, wept over and cried over many, many times. Uh, in fact, I was first introduced to the, the lyrics um, of this psalm in college while at a Christian sports camp, and a guy came in and said, the Lord is sweeter than a honey on a honeycomb. And I was like, that's, what? <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, but, but man, it resonated with me so well. I bought the CD for like nine bucks on my little salary that they gave me, and I put it in my little uh, Daewoo Laganza, and I drove back, and I just played that song over and over, and I still got the song, and I played it all week. The Lord is sweeter than a honey on a honeycomb. But no, it is a beautiful psalm, uh, and it has helped me through times of joy, of times of grief. Um, and if you think about it, in its original language, um, I got to give props to my wife, she helped me out with this. Um, the psalm, the word psalm can be tehelim, which can be translated praise song. So I'm going to think of it this way, tehelim, man, tell them all about it, y'all. You go to a psalm and you can look at the words of scripture, whether it be through David or Moses or Asaph, and you can see how God is impressed on his people. And you can say, Tehillim, he's telling them all about it, all about the human emotion and the human condition. You can get with God right here. Tell him all about it. Tehillim, praise song is where we get a lot of our songs from that we uh, sing every week. Uh, Chris, thank you for doing a good job of uh, putting our text with our songs. Uh, where are you at? Thank you for that. I appreciate that. But no, the Psalms, uh, we can be presented with the Psalms and leave with a heart of worship. Um, singing about God is, is the core of worship. A commentator by the name of Alan Ross described it this way. Of all the books in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms was vividly, most vividly represents the faith of individuals in the Lord. The Psalms are the inspired responses of human hearts to God's revelation of himself in law, history, prophecy. Saints of all ages, kids too, have appropriated this collection of prayers and praises in their public worship and private meditation. God has revealed himself that reaches at the core of human emotion. So whatever we may be feeling, you guys, like we can look at, in particular, the book of Psalms and know that God knows exactly how I feel. I encourage you to weep over the Psalms, to pray over the Psalms, to, to just spend time in the Psalms. You pick it, Psalm 50, Psalm 150, Psalm 23, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 23, which we all know because it is a sweet and awe-inspiring word of God. Amen? All right. God is more than happy to reveal himself to everyone, to all mankind, to all people on full display. Um, and sometimes I think in the context of an American Christian, I think, oh, man, my revelation has to do with the American church and what I see in America, but that's not true. God is bigger than that. He's, bigger, he's way bigger than that. You can't hold him, as they might say. 
And in the Psalms, in this particular Psalm, Psalm 19, and in Scripture, we see two types of revelation. Two types. You guys might know these already, but let me help you with them a little bit. We see first general revelation and special revelation. So let me explain. General revelation can be defined as the knowledge of God's existence, character, and moral law that comes through creation to all humanity. So God's existence, creation, uh, I'm sorry, God's knowledge of uh, existence, I'm sorry, (laughs) knowledge of God's existence, character, and moral law comes through to creation through all humanity, to all humanity, and scripture speaks to this. So it's basically like, man, if you didn't even have a Bible, if you didn't have a church, if you didn't have a means to, to be around God's people, you would still see God. Amen? All right, all right. So we see this, and and Scripture backs this up in um, Romans 1, verse 19 through 21. Uh, Paul talks about it. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown them for his invisible, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So we are without excuse. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So people will see God, but not attribute beauty and the glory of his creation to God. In Acts 14, we, we keep going. Uh, more general revelation that. 14, 16. In past generations, he allowed the nation to walk in their ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So like I said before, Basically, if you never owned a Bible, if you've never been around a church context, um, and I'm so grateful that our brother Robert wants to go to all the nations um, because he has a chance to see the glory of God in its full expanse. It is such a beautiful thing that Robert will go, and even if Robert never grew up in New Breed Church, never grew up in American Church, he's going to go to Peru, and he can still see the glory of God. Amen? But... If you never claim the name of the Lord, he's still gracious to you. His, his general revelation is gracious to all of us. Um, you might call it common grace, like, like they were talking about uh, the rains and, and the seasons change, and it, it is proper to, to, to uh, take care of people. Um, but we have general revelation, but that's not enough to save you without excuse. Um, we see in Romans 1 and Acts 14 that God is on full display in his invisible attributes, his divine power, and his eternal power. So we see God, even though it's just a general sense of like, okay, I know that the heavens are beautiful. I know that the trees are great, that the birds are great. There's still an element of like we should be able to see God's power and glory amongst that even, brothers and sisters. So we can't be without excuse. Uh, we can be in awe of God in light of this. But... So we can know that God exists, but what we can't know is the depth of our depravity, the consequences of our depravity, who God is and what he says through his word, how to specifically obey him, and how he has laid out means to reconcile man to himself. So general revelation helps us just see God in a general sense. However, it's still, in a sense, not the full picture of who God is. 
Now I bring in special revelation. Special revelation. Uh, and we'll get to that in the text. This is God's words addressed to specific people, including of the Bible. So um, you look at Moses, you look at Jesus, you look at the prophets. Um, Hebrews 1 and, 1 and 2 lays it out like this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So special revelation is God revealing himself through his words, through his prophets, through his son, Jesus. Right. And the beauty is like we have special revelation. So sometimes I find myself thinking, man, if Jesus was here what would he say to me when I'm trying to buy this house uh, on this budget? What would he say to me when I'm trying to love my wife in this painful season? What would he say to me in this situation? And I think, man, I can just go to the text and he can tell me all about it. Sometimes I, I, I think like, man, I really wish Jesus, you know, was still here um, to tell me what to do. But I'm like, that's why I got the Gospels. That's why the Gospels are there for me. You know, I mean, if you got the red letter edition, that's cool. But like, yeah, like, I mean, if you go straight there, you, you can avoid all the other stuff. Um, but no, like God's word is right here present for us to take. We don't have to guess at what God is telling us. Oh, well, this is it. No, we got it right here. We got it right here. That may be difficult sometimes to work through, but it is here in all of his glory. And he's gracious enough to give it to us. God's general revelation and special revelation is God's gracious way of revealing himself to us and to all people, both who love him and those who don't love him. Remember, it falls on those who don't even know him, the just and the unjust, right? Um, he's revealing specifically who he is, who we are, and what should happen in light of that, all right, to the believer and the non-believer. But there's something I don't want you to lose in this, because what we can't think is that God has to do this. We don't have to. God doesn't have to reveal himself to us. We are not entitled to his glory. Uh, you might say, well, look at Job 38, 4 through 7. Job is dealing with sickness, with loss, with losing his stock. And he's like, yo, what's up? Like, you got you to gotta explain yourself. Like, come on, like, talk to me. Bitter about it. And God responds. Where were you when I laid the foundation for the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know Job, right? Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what was its basis sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When in the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you at when I did all this? When I started creation, when I was doing my thing all by myself, holy and perfect and righteous, you weren't there. I don't owe you anything, Job, but I love you. Furthermore, in 2 Corinthians 6 through 10, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rules of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. We should be so thankful that God left his Spirit in the book of Acts, as we might see it. But he did not have to do that. 
but he did it in his loving kindness that when we look for God, we can use the spirit. We, we have the spirit. We, don't have the, we, we have the spirit, not only to see him and to know him, but to feel him and to be guided by him. Pastor Michael talked the other day about like, the fruits of the spirit and how sometimes, um, you know, the, the, like pursuing God is a means to the fruits of the spirit. The fruits of the spirit are not what we pursue necessarily themselves, but like we can't just blow past the spirit. We have that. And to, to bring us into truth and knowledge and understanding and to worship. Amen. It's not simply our intellect that helps us come to know God, but by God's grace, he reveals them to himself. There's a part of, of, of our walk that we just have to understand that God is gracious enough to help us see what he wants us to see and to understand what he wants us to understand. And when he gives us these truths, when he gives us this wisdom, we take it. We don't reject it. So as we press on this morning, I want to talk more about how Psalm 19 uh, lays out general revelation. That'll be the first uh, six verses. Special revelation, verses 7 through 14, or 7 through 13, and then our response. There is a response. When God speaks, we respond. Amen? So special revelation, general revelation, and our response. Those aren't my points, but that's where we're going. (laughs) So let's talk about it. The idea of general revelation. The first point is this. God shows himself in the stars. God shows himself in the stars. And I'm using stars as a um, word to kind of summarize the expanse of the sky, the universe. We can, we, we can look up and we can see God because I didn't do that. Verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. <clears throat> their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and a circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from his feet. David is saying that when we look at the sky, we can see the beautiful and consistent things that God has revealed to us that should point us to him. The sun comes up, the sun comes down. The moon goes up, the moon goes down. There are stars. Um, there's a certain consistency in our universe. There's a certain beauty. There's a certain vastness in our universe that says, God, you are there. God, you are there. Um, notice that verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Simple, right? You know, we look up, we see the glory of God. We see his handiwork in all of creation. But here's the problem. When we see God's glory and we see his handiwork and we see all the expanse of the sky, it's more than that just to look up and say, oh, man, that's cool. No, it's more than that. The word, weight, the word glory can be drawn out as the weightiness and the fullness of God. All that God is in his beauty that he has chosen to reveal to us in the expanse of the sky. Once again, living in an American context, I get so caught up in, like, how to think about God and how to act that I can just forget to see him. I can just forget to just be, to just be a child of God and enjoy what he's made instead of thinking, well, well, is this doctrine proper? Is this church function proper? Is this the way I should think about this big thing? Which is great, which is great, but sometimes you just got to say, man, God, praise God glory just look at it and, and just behold it right because there's a humility in just beholding who he is right I can't add to that I can't change that I can't make the time go back even though we kind of do that but like we uh, but we just behold and say man you are beautiful and marvelous and you are to be adored glorious 
the full weightiness of who God is. I got to take that in sometimes. I got to take that in sometimes. So living in America makes it hard sometimes, but God's word makes it easy. But David is not the only one who sees this in Scripture. David is not the only one who sees uh, the glory of God in Scripture, obviously. Consider Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. I love this one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and on the and and the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe filled the temple, and him stood, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, 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 Lord of hosts. Holy, 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 Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Think about this for a moment. You have these angels in an eternal state, and they see God, and God comes in, and his uh, train of his robe fills the temple. The glory of God is all-consuming and inspiring. It just takes up space, y'all. It just takes up space. Like, it is something to behold. Even in an eternal state, they are worshiping. Their response to seeing the glory of God, even furthermore, their response is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. I got to give you your props, man. <laughs> it's like somebody coming to school with nice shoes or whatever, uh, or clothes. I can school, like, man, I got to give you your props, man. Like, we got to do that when we see the expanse of the universe, right? Yeah. God's glory cannot be contained. It can't be limited. But it can be known in our hearts without excuse. In the midst of all that grandeur, God can be known. It's a glimpse, but a glimpse that removes any excuse from us knowing God. As I mentioned earlier in Romans, those who do not hear the word of God, priests or have any ecclesiastical means, have a church, anything like that, they still can see the beauty of God through his creation. It can cause us to worship. And when we see it, when the believers see it, it causes us to worship. Now, I'll get into this a little bit later, but it'll convict the non-believer, but it causes us to worship when we see God, whether it's through him moving through person, through a church, through an organization, through uh, the world, we worship. Paul says there is no excuse to know that God exists. We serve a God of order. He has laid it out for us to see him. Even, even in the expanse and the, and the broadness of the universe, he still says, no, you can see me in this. You can see me in this. Sun up to sundown. Consider how the sun is described in verses four through six. I really like this part because um, if I were a pagan, maybe, back in, in the context of when David is writing this, I'm thinking, man, the sun is like the main thing I should be looking for. It is the centerpiece of the sky, and I'm supposed to worship that, maybe. Uh, not really. <laughs> Verses 4 through 6. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Nothing is hidden. God's presence and omnipresence stretches far and wide. One of the things that we got to understand, like for, for, for me, that I got to understand is like sometimes I can think, man, um, I am so lucky to have um, an American faith because I can see things. I can read stuff. And sometimes I feel bad, like, man, how are people going to get saved, man? We ain't got enough people going around the world. But like, man, God's got it all figured out. People can see him. People can see him. And they know he's there. Um, but the thing about the sun is, like, it's got these 
life-giving, awe-inspiring characteristics that tells us to look to God. Like, this sun may be great. Yeah, you can grow crops with it. You can stay warm, and you can use it to work and all that stuff. But really, the source of your strength is God and not this sun. We can't worship the created but the creator. So God has revealed himself in creation, but that's not the only way he's revealed himself. As we're dealing with, we're dealing with um, once again, general revelation, God revealing himself through his creation, star, the expanse, and what we see. Point two, God shows himself in the scriptures. God reveals himself in the scriptures. Now, the psalm uses the term law, and you might be thinking, well, what's the law? Yeah, the law. So this psalm was written in the context of uh, God's people, Israel, following the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you guys get it. Um, and before we just completely wipe away the Torah, let's, let's stop for a minute and think, okay, look, first five books of Moses is what they had. God uses to, to distinct his people, Israel, from all other nations, right? He set a relationship, he set a covenant relationship with them through this law. Um, he said, look, I'm going to be your daddy. All right, you're going to be my kids. In Exodus 20, when Moses is like, you I got this great word, and when I go back and tell them, what you want me to tell them? Tell them, I am sent you. I got y'all now, all right? I got you now. So he's established a relationship. He's establishing uh, his commands to his people, Ten Commandments. Uh, but it goes further than that, even. Um, it's, there was wisdom. There was safety involved in the law. You look at how uh, people weren't supposed to touch animals that were unclean. You couldn't touch anybody with leprosy. You couldn't eat certain meats and animals that were unsanitary, unclean to eat. God is competent and wise to know that practices uh, have consequences. So, like, they didn't have the technology we have, so they might want to lay low from certain things. Like, God is wise in giving them this law. It's a good and perfect law. It was good and perfect. Um, and the thing, But even beyond that, though, it being good and perfect, uh, like, people believed God. When they saw the law, like, pe like people believed God, like, I mean, it was his way of keeping. Um, let me let me be careful here. People believed God. It, it was a part of his covenant with them. And they were OK with that. Um, so let's just not totally write off the law. Um, as Pastor Michael finishes Galatians, you know, uh, we are free from the law. But knowing in this context that uh, the law was used to establish a relationship with people. Let's pick it up in verse 7, where it states, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. There is nothing that the word of God lacks. It is complete in every good thing. I mentioned earlier that sometimes I think about, like, what to do in life and where to go and, and how to be a parent and how to um, love my wife and how to choose a career and how to be an elder, you know? I don't want to just look at other examples and other people, but, man, I want to go to the word of God. It is perfect. And it's not just perfect on itself. Th th this word that David was getting was not just, not because Moses wrote it on these tablets, not because he somehow chiseled it out properly and right, because it came from a perfect God. The outflow of this perfect law was first began with a perfect God. And so that's where we start. Like God's word is good because it comes from a perfect God. I know man wrote it, but he gave him the spirit and the spirit's perfect. Amen. So as God's way is perfect, the Lord is flawless. Um, Psalm 1830 states, as for God, his way is perfect. The, word, the Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. When scripture speaks, we submit. 
church, there is comfort in in sanctuary from the assurances of God's word for every circumstance we face. And I love the picture of the Lord reviving the soul through his word, you know. The word revise can be translated to return or to turn back, all right? Um, I lost my place a little bit. (laughs) The Bible has the power to restore any situation, brother and sister. The Bible has the power to bring forth our faith, our walk with Christ, our deeds, wherever we may be, wherever we may go, whatever we may be doing. God has the power to restore us through his word. Um, The word of God can take on any human condition. Any human condition. Let me repeat. The word of God is sufficient to take on and to restore any human condition. Not the newly reformed, not the grew up in church, not the person who's got all the good notes, but any human condition. The person in your life that you're thinking, man, I don't even see life here. No, there's life there. It's God. God can restore that. If you don't believe me, my favorite passage of scripture, I use this to preach at my grandmother's um, funeral, is Lazarus in John 11. We see Lazarus, and he um, is not on life support. He is not hanging on by a thread. He is not terminally ill. He is not hurt badly, but he's dead. Like He's dead. He has nothing to offer the word anymore. He is done. His life is, comp- is finished. It's over. And Jesus is hiding out, well, I mean, effectively hiding out from getting stoned, but he's like, yo, he gets he get the call from uh, Lazarus' people, like, yo, we need you here. So then he travels the distance four days later. So Lazarus has been there for four days. Jesus shows up, and they're like, yo, if you'd have got here earlier, you know, he wouldn't have died. Like, and he's like, hold on, throw that stone out the way. So they throw the stone out the way. And Jesus says, Lazarus. up and he comes out and the beauty is he's not even bound by the bandages and straps anymore come forth so when God looks at me and my struggles in life he says Lance come forth for the marriage in here that may be tough come forth God's word can speak to that for the brother who's struggling with purity or the sister who's struggling with purity come forth for just the person that's just struggling with faith in general You don't even know. Like, man, why is this season so tough? I don't get it. I don't see your truth. I don't see your beauty. I don't see your glory. God's word can say, come forth, because it revives the soul. It brings us to life. And it doesn't just bring us to life. It brings us to life eternally and everlasting and a life of glory with him in in the heavens. We see him in his glory. We get glorified bodies, too. Like, come on. You can't beat that. You can't beat that. I'm trading this in. I'm trading this in one day. (laughs) We should desire God's word over all influences, all other influences in our life. When we're hurting, when we're tired, when we're sick, when we're bored, whatever we may be, like this should be the primary influences of how we live our life. This is priceless to the Christian walk. There is no substitute for God's word. It is transformational truth. Let us not be tempted by the sweetness of marriage, by money, by position, by whatever it may be. Stick to the word of God. The word of God is perfect and sufficient for all matters. And God has revealed himself through his word. So we know that God reveals himself in creation. We call that, you guys remember? 
general revelation. And we know that God reveals himself through the scripture, through his word. Special revelation. All right. But here is the beauty. When David wrote this, he knew that there was a response. Once he saw the beauty of God in heaven and he is looking at the law of God, the word of God, he knows that he can't just say, okay, that's cool. But he's got to respond. And his response is one that we should have too. So in light of seeing the weightiness of God's glory, in light of seeing the sweetness of the law, God's word, and its function, our response is, point three, conviction, repentance, and obedience. Our response is conviction, repentance, and obedience. Verse 12 through 13, David says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. When David sees the weightiness of God's glory, when David sees the truth and the sweetness of God's law, he says, man, Father, in light of who you are, I know that I'm broken. Your word convicts me. Your word calls me out on an inward level, not for anybody else, but just for me. Your word is good to purify me, to cut right to the heart of the matter, to cut right to the heart of the matter. God's word does that. So when we are confronted with the truth of God, it should cause us to reflect and repent even. David knows when he sees God, he's called to look like He's called to be like God. He can't just ignore the fact that God calls us to look like him. I have never met my father. If he walked in this room right now, I wouldn't. Maybe I would know who he is based off pictures from the late 80s. I've never met him. I've heard broken up stories about him from my mom. I've heard fragmented stories about him from cousins and relatives, but they don't last longer than five minutes. 32 years old. And it can be a surprise sometimes just because, man, sometimes you just be one that God is. And so when I do things, when I, when I was doing things growing up, my mom would say, man, you do that just like your father. And I was like, I don't even know, dude. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta help me with that. And so I have these characteristics that she would say, that's like Earl. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that means. But um, there's like an incompleteness of like where I get some of my stuff from because I don't know him. I've never seen him. I don't know if we got the same hands, the same feet, the same nose, the same disposition of sports. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But here's the beauty. I can see my heavenly father in scripture and I can know where I get my attributes from. And I can know that when I walk faithfully with my wife, it's because God has walked faithfully first. I can know that when I walk faithfully with my church and I can walk in step with the fruits of the spirit, that I can walk in step with his spirit, that God did it first. That my heavenly father has already modeled this for me in his word. That I don't have to guess. I don't have to guess anymore. Like, I wonder what that was like. No, I can see it. I can see it. Oh, I can see it. So when we see the beauty of God in creation, we want to look like him. Maybe we can pray something like this. If you, if you were praying over this text, if you were meditating over this scripture, you could say something like this. Just 
Father, enable me to fight sin well. Lead me to meditate on your word. Cause your word to flood my heart with understanding and truth. Make your word sweet to me, Father, in my bed of sin. In the midst of my bed of sin, make your word sweet to me. Father, may my walk be pleasing to you. May you steady my life and allow your spirit to dwell within my soul. Father, dwell here. Stay here. Don't leave. Because he won't. He'll stay there. When we see God for all that he is and all of his wonder, it should convict us, cause us to repent and walk in obedience. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's something my father, my earthly father can't do. He can't impress that on me. Yeah, we may have a similar mouth, but we may not talk the same. Yeah, I may have his DNA, but my heart isn't for him. It's for God. He says he's a rock and a redeemer. He's steady. He's going to be there. He's not leaving. He's going to be there. So we can trust that. You know, our obedience flows from our submission to Christ Jesus. It's not something we earn, we work for, we strive hard for. It's something we submit to. We can submit to these truths in Scripture. We can submit to the Psalms. We can submit our hearts and our emotions and our thoughts and our fears, our griefs, our joys, our celebrations, our highs and lows. We submit that all the cross of Jesus Christ. As I bring this to a close, we can praise God for revealing himself in creation. General revelation. We can praise God for revealing himself through his word, special revelation, the law, the Bible. But in his loving kindness, he still gave us Jesus. He still gave us Jesus. Colossians 1, 1 Colossians 1, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the crown of creation. Yeah, that sun is cool. Yeah, those Nevadas and mountain ranges are great, but Jesus is the crown of creation. All things hold together through him, for him, and by him. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God has given us Jesus. That's revelation that was. He said, you know what? I see you living. I gave you my creation. Adam and Eve, that wasn't good enough. I gave you my law. Moses and them. Everybody up to John the Baptist, that wasn't good enough. But I'm going to give you Jesus. And Jesus is going to model for you everything that I've ever wanted out of you. Everything. The way we interact with people, the way we speak, the way we love, our heart's desires. In fact, the thing that you think that you're pursuing well, you're not even pursuing that well. Because <laughs> I can cut to the heart of the matter. Matthew 5 and 6. You think you're good, but no. I'm good. I'm good. Jesus is the pinnacle of God's revelation. We love Jesus, and we seek to look like Jesus. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, let me tell you about him. Jesus is eternal. He's been there the whole time. And when God created the world, when him and the Spirit and the Father created the world, man, he made it perfect. There was nothing wrong with it. All of that beauty, all of that glory was on full display for Adam and Eve to see. But we know because of their disobedience and their rejection of the truth that there was the fall. 
sin entered the world. And sin separated not only Adam and Eve from God, but it separated every single person under the sun from God for all of eternity. Because we are now imperfect in, presence of a, in the presence of a holy and perfect God, and he can't deal with that, but he has to deal with that, and so we deserve hell. We deserve death. But the beauty is he don't leave us there, right? Because he says, you know what? I'm going to model for you through Jesus what it's supposed to look like to have a relationship with your father. I know your father's gone, Lance, but I'm going to model for you what your relationship for you, with your father should look like. So I'm going to come and live the perfect life, and I'm going to die to death that you deserve. This should be you, Lance, but it's going to be me. It's going to be my son, Jesus. And when Jesus' death uh, is complete and finished, he defeats death. And his resurrection from the grave, his bodily resurrection from the grave, gives us eternal life. So if this is your first time hearing that, there's a response. It is like Jesus. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. There's an acceptance of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we proclaim the name Jesus as we see God's beauty in the heavens, God's beauty in his word, and God's beauty in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, Father. When the hard things of this world seem to be on full display and the beauty of this world seems to be hidden, we can find you. You don't hide. You've revealed yourself in what we can see, Father, by your grace. It is gracious of you that we can see you in the heavens. You've revealed yourself by what you said in your word. It is gracious of you that you would give us your word to cling to and to behold, Father. And you've given us Jesus that we can repent and trust him and call on him as Lord and Savior. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.